Here's the literally the first line on the Wikipedia. Fire Festival was a fraudulent luxury music festival founded by con artist Billy McFarland and rapper Ja Rule. Wow. Yep. That's a hell of a first sentence. Welcome to the Skiffy and Fanti Show's live show, SNF Clacks. I, I realize we don't have a tagline. Do you have a tagline? I don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. We'll just make one up on the fly. Conventions, conventions. Oh, no, it's conventions. That's what we're, we'll call the tagline. It's not very good. I had three seconds to come up with it. <laughs> I'm Sean. And I'm Trish. And uh, today we're going to talk about uh, a listener question that came in that was about conventions. We're going to talk about conventions change and some things that are kind of going on in the convention world. Just our thoughts on that subject. But also, if listeners live at the moment on our Twitch channel have any thoughts, we will, of course, share those. But also take your questions. If you have any odd, strange questions, if you want to ask us about movies or whatever. I happen to have seen a couple recently. So, yeah, there's that. All right. And as always, please share your comments with us if you catch this later. Share your comments about this and past episodes at skippyandfanty.com slash listener suggestions. Some of those questions might get, get discussed right here on a future SNF clacks or our speculative dispatch podcast. Should be fun. So, okay, so we got this monster sea of questions, all of which we're not going to be able to answer. Some of them are specific to WizCon, which Trish and I off podcast talked about briefly, that we really don't know enough about the situation to speak with any authority to it. But we can talk about the more general questions, which I'll just read kind of those general questions. so We have a, a baseline of where we're coming from. It starts with this from a listener. I don't know who it is, but one of our listeners who said, how are cons doing? Which ones are thriving? Are any, quote, better than ever? What is working or is initially promising in 2023 and moving forward? Which are failing? Is there any transparent discussion about why other than the pandemic? And those are kind of the main questions we'll probably have some thoughts on. I know that Trish had some immediate thoughts I happen to be going to a convention that ha I will have thoughts about in about a couple of weeks here. So, But I want to start with you, Trish. What are some immediate thoughts that come to your mind about what you're thinking with conventions and how they're weathering the world now? Uh, well, my most immediate thought is that I am not doing conventions unless they are vaccination-proof required and masks required. And... Uh, uh, anyone who just says we strongly encourage wearing masks might as well be saying, you don't have to wear masks. And uh, anyone who says we encourage vaccinations might as well say, we don't care. Because the only way it can be in an environment that I trust is if those things are required. And so I'm just not doing any more cons, except virtual ones. Uh, <laughs> Um, and cons that require them. I had a very good time uh, in February at CapraCon, uh, which was which required the things that I require to feel safe. And um, I understand that Fourth Street Fantasy 
uh, which happened recently in Minneapolis, required the same things. And uh, those were, um, you know, that was apparently also a fun con. I don't know what their membership, uh, what the attendance was in comparison to other years. Um, but that's where I stand. And I know that uh, EasterCon, for example, in mm. Britain uh, earlier this year, this spring, I think it was April, um, uh, they did one of those wishy-washy, we encourage safety, and they had something of a spreader event. And I know that um, uh, the lack of uh, safety protocols for Gen Con uh, have discouraged some people, like like me, for example, that crossed that off my list immediately, mm-hmm. and it was a discourager for other people. Some people are still going. I think their attendance is going to be fine this year, but uh, what you're getting is you are screening for audiences that don't care as much about safety or who have given up or whatever. Yeah. I'm not into that. <laughs> I, so far... Have kept COVID free. I want to continue keeping COVID free, not getting, not risking long COVID, especially. Um, and uh, I know some people get COVID and recover, and life goes on for them. But some people do not, and I, yeah, I can't afford to be bedridden, and my household can't either. So that is totally fair. The only thing I will say about COVID, I can't speak to your specific health situation exactly trish because you would know your health situation i did get covid last year when my mother visited and she brought it thankfully just me and my mom got it we both i mean it was a pretty bad cold but not that bad but i still took paxlovid because i wasn't i was just like i'm asthmatic i don't want to i don't i'm feeling like i'm getting worse i'm not going to risk it and i will say like whatever the hell paxlovid has in it is amazing because it it really did for me just for me, I will just speak for me. It it cut the symptoms down. Like within about 36 hours, I went from pretty sick to, you know, that when you get a cold and then like you're over the cold, but you're like, if there's like the, the there's taking the bodies out. Yeah. That, yeah. You don't that, feel that 100% for a while after you stop coughing and stuff. Yeah. So I will say that that I found maybe they've come up with better stuff to help reduce that, but. Again, the idea is to avoid catch. I don't want it again. I never want to catch it again. I mean, I just, yeah, the risk is not worth it. I will say I, I'm in agreement broadly. I think I may be a slightly more lax on the mask part, but only because some of the conventions I've gone to have had many open air spaces. I don't mm-hmm. mean like inside buildings, like literally there's like a pool and buttloads of room. And there's just a little bit more of that at some of the events. So like uh, ICFA, which is not a traditional convention, has had that. And so if I just don't want to be like in a room full of people who aren't masked, I can I'll just go outside by the pool and just sit in a chair. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I don't think you're disagreeing with that part. It's more like those confined spaces we have. And some conventions are very packed. Yeah. So. And something that may change my mind a bit in the future is that uh, the CDC recently recommended uh, released recommendations for filtration systems for inside businesses and hotels and convention centers and stuff like that. Uh, recommended that you know all public spaces like that exchange use filtration systems that exchange the air at least five times per hour. 
Um, and I was listening to, um, uh, what is it? Octo, Octothorpe? Uh, Octothorpe, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, recently, and they were comparing that with British requirements. Now, the CDC thing is just a recommendation. So, until I see huge numbers of places actually, you know, if a con or a con bid publishes information about air sure. filtration in their hotel, we are this good or this bad, that would also influence my decision. I'd be more comfortable going to a con that did not require masks if they had a ho- if they were at a hotel that exchanged the air at least six times, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, an hour. Yeah, so... So better better procedures to sort of handle that stuff, which just is really dependent on facilities in a lot of cases. Yep. Which right. some conventions probably have to consider whether they can survive by switching. Those are going to be more expensive facilities in general. Some yeah, conventions but it's may really not that, that expensive to add air filtrations. It's like, I think it's just like $200 a room and then your guests can feel safer. Why would you not do that? Uh, I, so I think for any major convention, they should require that their hotels uh, make that information available as to what filtration they're using and the stats on them. And I think yeah, that it's would... like informed, con- informed, cons- like it's informed yes. consent or informed decision making by giving you all the information. You get to make the decision. Is this a convention I want to go to? Yeah, I think that is totally fair. I know that COVID can't isn't the only thing we have to be concerned with with. Sure. I mean, I don't want to get uh, Legionnaire's yeah. disease or hepatitis sure. or anything else, E. coli. But, uh, you know, it's... But COVID has changed the dynamic a bit of, like, conventions do need to be more considerate of... You're shoving a bunch of people in a room, or in a bunch of different rooms. Like, you know, we can take some small steps that can help reduce spreading of any... Like, everyone remembers con crud. Yeah. Before COVID, right? Where like what we meant was you caught you caught some virus while you mm-hmm. were there, usually a cold, and you just felt like crap for a week, and then you were fine. And you just lived with it. That was just what you were gonna get when you went to a con. Yeah, mm-hmm. but like that's a thing that I think we can just do away. Like cons should start working towards doing away with. Is mm-hmm. like we can minimize. Like I don't think we can ever get rid of it. No, but we can minimize. Yeah, you know, like even just like the regular. I don't want a cold either. I don't want to go to a convention, then I have to go to work, like, the next day when I get home, and I just feel like, no, nah, that's no fun. Yep. Um, I would like I will to just... say hello oh, to the ahead, people please. in chat. Um, I've been Hi. seeing the kids are asleep. I am sorry that you and your husband got COVID uh, after, yeah. after your husband went to an event. Um, uh, welcome to Coded Duelist and Rainbow Warrior. Also, yeah, glad welcome. to see y'all. Uh, if, you, if you missed our beginning... Um, we're answering, answering one kind of big idea reader question, but we're also happy to interact with people in chat and talk. Absolutely. You know, if y'all have questions. Yeah. And I do see Rainbow Warrior raised a pretty big question that I don't think we can address, but I did want to acknowledge it, which is the question about religious exemption. Um, that is sort of more political than I think we want to get, but I'm happy to talk to you. I, I, Rainbow Warrior, I'm happy to talk to you, or I'm sure Trish would be reasonably willing to talk about how we deal with that in this particular thing. But I did want to acknowledge that you did ask that, and that is obviously a, a pretty big, big concern. I did want to mention that I will be at Convergence coming up here the week after next, which is the July 4th weekend, basically, which is in Minneapolis. 
pretty heavily. And MediaCon has a literature track. Um, they still have a COVID policy. They ran last year, to my knowledge, they ran successfully. They ran a virtual thing the preceding year because they, they really couldn't run a convention. Um, and so they like had a dead year, I think, for COVID and then a virtual year. And then they came back in 2022. I actually missed that one because I got COVID from my mom. Hmm. Thanks, mom. Um, love you. But uh, I will say they're they're pretty aggressive about it in terms of just making sure you're not bringing anything in on purpose. <clears throat> and while it 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 sucks that I wasn't able to go last year, I, they were following CDC guidelines at the time I got it. It was fine. Um, and I will say that that my can my well, I have not been to this convergence. Convergence continues to be pretty successful. A lot of bodies, uh, relatively low numbers, as I recall last year, which for COVID, um, they continue to make money doing what they do, which I think is fairly effective. I think it's also that COVID has not, or sorry, not COVID, uh, Convergence has not ignored the, the, the issue in the real world, but have also tried to figure out how do we continue to move forward because you, they're not primarily a virtual con, which I think is a question we might want to talk about, mm -hmm. which is some cons began as virtual and probably will stay there. I was thinking like right hive and there are a couple of other ones. A uh, fire was one, but they, they unfortunately, stopped um but some cons went temporarily virtual and then stopped convergence is one where they never promised they were going to be a hybrid or a virtual con uh and then there was a world con which has up till this year either been totally virtual or hybrid to varying degrees of success depending on your perspective and i'm i i suspect trish and i probably share the same view on this which is while probably not every con will be virtual because, or, or at least hybrid, more cons need to be. And frankly, not enough of them are, are sticking to that plan. Uh, some of them are abandoning their, their hybrid format or they're just giving it short effort, short shrift, as it were. Um, I know one that I'm involved in that I'm not going to mention because I, I don't know what the plan is for this year. But the stressor of running virtual has been a problem where finding volunteers willing to run it is an issue. And then finding volunteers who actually know how to do it is the other issue. Yeah, um, you basically yeah. need two whole teams, one for in-person and one for virtual. And that's really hard to find that many volunteers. Um, I will say uh, ChaiCon, I think, had, had a really good virtual program, or at least, you know, I, I heard from, I was on one virtual panel, and I heard good things from people who watched other virtual panels. They seem to run reasonably smoothly. Um, uh, it can be done doing an actual hybrid panel where you have oh, some God. live and some people on monitors is almost impossible to do well. I don't recommend that, but having two basic tracks, one live in person and one uh, uh, online, I think really for a world con, you almost have to start doing that every year um, because otherwise it's not going to be a world con. It's going to be a whoever can fly halfway around the world every year con. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, especially if we get more winning bids in 
Asia or, or whatever. Yeah, I, I know they're facing tremendous difficulties uh, in a lot of areas. Um, uh, <laughs> really? Yes. What could have given you that impression? Yes. Uh, speaking, <laughs> speaking of which, if we're ready for a little segue, um, uh, the uh, Shangdu has tweeted out on June 22nd that we are looking at the end of June to release the finalist list for the 2023 Hugo Awards nomination. Uh, currently, they are contacting individuals to confirm acceptance of the nomination. Um, their original pledge, I think, was in May, uh, and so they've uh, slipped quite a bit, but since the con yeah. isn't until, I think, October now, um, that gives that still gives a reasonable amount of time to read Assuming stuff. Assuming they meet this this de- new deadline. Assuming they meet the new deadline. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I understand, uh, you know, it's also presenting a lot of challenges for um, uh, nominations being made in more languages than they used to be, or a lot more nominations coming in point. in not English. And how do you compare and make sure that, you know, what they nominate is the same Uh you know the just you know even just even when you're just doing it all in english people will list things in the wrong order or you know put commas in <laughs> so you have to manually that's a really good point check like, everything and then yeah. when you're doing it in uh, multiple languages that's going to slow down the process too so i uh yeah i i i'm not mad at shangdu <laughs> for taking more time than their original plan Given that you know we still have really plenty of time, uh, I am very eager to see the lists. Though I'm very very curious to see how many uh, things we're going to be asked to read that are not in English at all. You know, you can nominate a Chinese language book, and how many or whatever, uh, and how many of those are there going to be this year, particularly since it's in Chengdu. Um, yeah. And uh, so I'm really, really curious to see how that's going to work out. Um, and yeah, the voter packet too, but even just the list of finalists, I, I'm yeah. very curious. It could be, you know, if half the list is in a language I don't read, that's going to shorten my reading time. <laughs> um. There's This is a question that came up for me is... There's some, there's now some rumors circulating. I have no name, so I can't tell you what the rumors pertain to. But there are rumors circulating among English language fandom that I'm aware of that some people have been contacted. I've my seen a imp- tweet to that effect. Okay, so my my reading of that is at least one person who works primarily in English mm-hmm. or is published in English, I, I don't know which one it is, has been approached by Chengdu, which may mean there may be people who are on there who are not English. But the majority of the people registered for this con are assumed to be Chinese language speakers. Mm -hmm. And there is no expectation that that is a Chinese and English language speaker who may be reading either in translation in Chinese or reading in English. Or they could be. The alternative is they primarily are reading Chinese language work. Or watching, for that matter, and that's the majority. But then that raises the question, what do English language fans do? Because if the majority of the ballot, let's say like one thing on there is in is in English, I don't read Mandarin or Cantonese or any right. of the Chinese and languages. Right, and we're not going to learn it in time. To, to There's read. no way. There's right. no way I right. could learn no. it in time. 
there's definitely no way we're getting translations in time. Right. What do we do? I think from a pragmatic perspective, even if we would want to read them and even if mm-hmm. we would want to vote, is it ethical for us to just know a ward? I don't think that, I to me, that doesn't feel think, ethical. I don't think it would feel ethical to know a ward just because I couldn't read the the nominees. Right. Um, be I might abstain from that ballot yeah. if I thought that, you know, the one English book on the list... Uh, English language book was really outstanding and wonderful, then I True. might vote for it anyway. But most years I've made a real effort to vote in, to read every short story before I vote for the short story category and uh, sure. that kind of thing. You know, and if I read 50 pages of a book and hate it, I don't feel compelled to finish the book before voting in that category, but I do try to at least start all the books in a category before voting. So, um, it's, uh, (laughs) well, for that matter, I haven't actually positively decided whether I'm going to get a voting membership for Shangdu or not because of their guest of honor and other considerate, other ethical considerations. So (laughs) that is all. It's a little difficult. There's a raise, there's a couple of things that are raised in the chat, one of which is related to what you said. I'll mention that Kids Are Asleep has mentioned that uh, basically the, the question of what have non-English fans had to do all this time, which is right. true. Mm-hmm. A lot of them have had to read mm-hmm. either because they've learned English or they've had to deal with translation and they can't read it all in, in our language. Um, yeah, that's a great, that's a great point and correct, uh, which hopefully will get kick more English language speakers in the ass to get more translations. Cause to be frank, I don't want to wait five years for a book in Chinese to come out in English. I want to read that shit right now. Give it to me. Uh, the other thing is uh, the question that I believe Rainbow Warrior asked earlier up in chat, which is about um, are we even going to vote precisely because of the things that you've even pointed out? Uh, the question that Rainbow Warrior asked was specifically, will nominees even accept given those conditions? I don't know. I will say that, uh, to my knowledge, Skiffy and Fanny has not been nominated at this point. To be clear, I'm not upset by this. I just, I haven't had to actually have figured this out if we got there. But the thing you were raising, Trish, is there are ethical considerations here. Uh, Sergei Lukienko is still, and he was, he's still a guest of honor, and he was just made, uh, a member of the Russian, it's like a civil council. I can't remember. It's like a... I assume he's there because of artistic thing, but he's basically on appointed by Putin for this thing. Mm-hmm. And so that ethical dilemma gets more and more and more complicated. But we're also kind of between a rock and a hard place because you want to support Chinese fans, many of whom probably don't mm-hmm. agree with all of this. At the same time, you don't want to support <laughs> this. Uh, yeah, among I other think... things that... yeah. I think it's a different issue. I mean, yes, there are quite a few Chinese policies that I don't, that I disagree with. Sure. Like the treatment of the Uyghur and other uh, peoples. Um, uh, But this is actually con related, you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, America, the United States is not at all uh, perfect. I can understand why anyone would be afraid of going to a con in, say, Florida or Texas or various other uh, states. Um, uh, But I I think there's a difference in quality uh, between hosting 
a country hosting a con in a country that is uh uh that has some terrible policies between that and hosting a con that includes a guest of honor who has basically advocated genocide (laughs) that is a good point yeah there's like a different level because you can make the you can make the argument that the people who run a con may not be i mean we don't know but like Mm -hmm. we'll just assume for the sake of argument they are they may not be involved in any of this. They're just trying to do good things and, and have a convention. We could say the same about Uganda. Maybe the Uganda folks are not involved in any of their Ugandan policies for their mm-hmm. government. They are mm-hmm. just, we're a bunch of nerds and we want to put on an event and like, hey, look, African SF is cool. Right. But when you put somebody up there who is advocating those policies, that separation becomes harder to make. We it, it, Arguably, you can't make that. Which, and, and in fairness... In U.S. convention culture, that is a distinction a lot of people don't don't make for good reason. I mean, there are conventions we've seen uh, that have courted the puppies side of the thing. Uh, BasedCon would be one. I don't know how well BasedCon is actually doing in terms of numbers. I can tell you based on how they have handled matters, there's no universe in which I'm ever going to attend because I don't feel like it is the kind of event I would ever enjoy. Um, because of who they court. And I think that that's an important thing to note that if we're going to make that distinction here at home, we should have to make it there. And if we make it there, we have to do it here. We can't just, we need to be reasonably consistent while recognizing the scale of potential harm being done mm-hmm. in any different national context for that matter. Cause the scale I think does matter, but yeah, Liberty Con had Korea and then there was a big argument about that. Mm-hmm. The thing is, like, the question that led us here was a question about whether or not any of these cons are failing. And I'm not aware that any of them are failing. But being able to be a m- small size convention that courts a very specific group of people, that's not a large number and you can be successful. But whether or not you're having a, a large impact is a bigger question to that. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how big Liberty Con is. Based Con is nowhere near as big as Convergence. Or a Gen Con, for that matter. And Gen Con, I mean, if Gen Con was like, hey, we're going to have a neo-Nazi as our main guy, that'd be a big fucking deal. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Because it's mm-hmm. a huge convention, massive right. impact on the field of right. especially games. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, we would be having a very different conversation about Gen Con right now. I know that Gen Con has not exactly avoided controversy, but nothing quite at that level, to my knowledge. Yeah, I, don't uh, think, yeah, I only yeah. went to Gen Con once, and I basically was at the writer's track for most of that con, so I don't know much about Gen Con in general. Um, but there, gosh, they have so many people, <laughs> it would be hard. It's huge. So many people and exhibits and events that it would be a little hard. I'm, I'm sure some people do get spotlighted, but uh, it's certainly the overall tone of the con would be hard to sway in one direction or the other. That's a, that's, I think you're correct. Yeah. I was going to look really quick to see like, what is, who is their, uh, their guess of honor? No. Well, why are you going to be difficult while I'm trying to look at this? Like on the fly, you jerks, you should already have that announced. Shouldn't you? I'm not sure they have a guest of honor as such. Oh, yeah. they don't. Maybe they don't. Okay. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I think part of the question to get us back to like the general, Mm -hmm. all the big cons, most of them 
are succeeding. So far as I know, um, yeah. I can't think of any... Well, I know there's been problems with WISCON year to year, but I don't know enough about the situation to comment on it at all. Well, Stephen Geigen Miller just dropped this in the chat, and this might change our opinion. Uh, Disney, wow. Marvel Studios, Lucasfilm, <laughs> HBO, Sony, Universal, and Netflix are, according to what has dropped down or word is making rounds, they are passing on Comic-Con this year. Wow. That, That's huge. I don't know. I mean, SDCC will probably be fine, but that's that's got to cause a big hit because they those big cons, most of them are media centered, uh-huh. right? With with like the exception, I guess Gen Con's very big, but it's not necessarily it's very game centered, which is its own kind of niche. Um, but like San Diego, all the Comic Cons are incredibly media focused. They are not actually about comics anymore. If almost all of the major production companies are not airing panels or doing any things there, does that have a big hit? Are they able to adjust accordingly? Or do they just be like, we'll just bring all the other studios in? <laughs> I mean, to be fair, there's a writer's strike going on, so that might be a factor here. But Yeah, yeah is that uh, they're taking a pass on Comic-Con this year? So is that like from mid-2023 to mid-2024? Or what does this year mean? I'm curious. Uh, well, I, I'm guessing the main event is what they've taken a pass on. The, uh, the main Comic-Con itself, uh, at San Diego, which is the, the primary one. Okay. And I don't remember when that is. And I, I do see that, uh, uh the Kids okay. Are Asleep has mentioned that E3 did die. Okay. Which is true. And E3 stated in public that the reason was basically, like, lack of interest. And... Okay. Right, yeah. right. We're getting some stuff about this is due to the writer's strike, and that makes perfect sense. Sorry, not the writer's strike, but expectations of an actor's strike to follow the writer's or to be concurrent with the writer's strike. Oh, yeah. And that so makes a lot of sense. Yeah. If they can't send their talent out to the cons, no use sending their marketing people, too. <laughs> yeah, because who's going to care about, like, your production assistant or, <laughs> like, you know, right. the assistant of the CEO? Like, nobody gives a shit. <laughs> like, no offense, guy, who's the assistant to the assistant of the the CEO of the production company, but nobody knows who you are. <laughs> that feels mean to say, but it's it is kind of true. It's not what draws the lines that wrap around the block. <laughs> that is that is a fair point. Yeah, so that would be a factor. The big question would be, what is SDCC and any of the other comic cons that might have this? What do they do? Uh, I mean. They're pretty big, so I, I don't know that they're necessarily going to fail, but the this is goes to the question we were asked by this, this listener. You know, we don't know how they're going to weather this, but we've seen how other cons have weathered all kinds of problems um, from, you know, introducing hybrid tracks or changing um, the, the types of panels that they offer or uh, approaching different guests of honor. SDCC is a little different than that, but yeah, I... I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see. I'm sure they'll be fine, but and they're big enough. Then mm-hmm. again, maybe they'll just be like, like what's the what's the um the big party that was on an island, fi- Firefest or whatever. <laughs> like by was it Ja Rule? Who was the the rapper involved in that? Oh, fi- I was don't it fi- it was Firefest, right? It was Firefest, yes, but uh, Fire Festival <laughs> with 
which is not related at all to fire. <laughs> not related, no, but here's the literally the first line on the Wikipedia. Fire Festival was a fraudulent luxury music festival founded by con artist Billy McFarland and rapper Ja Rule. Wow. Yep. That's a hell of a first sentence. Oh, man. Apparently, I just want to know, this is completely unrelated to panels, but uh, apparently 50 Cent trolls Ja Rule constantly. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, I was reading a story uh, or watching a video of him saying that he found out that Ja Rule was having a concert in like wherever he happened to be and how the tickets were like $15, really cheap. So he bought the first four rows and then didn't come. (laughs) So he wrote, and I'm like, wow. Oh, dang. (laughs) That's so mean. (laughs) But in any case, yeah, so I don't think SDCC is going to go down that route. But yeah, I I don't know. Like, it's hard to say. There's so many conventions to know which ones have really failed. I will say, like, a lot of the small ones are really struggling mm-hmm. because finding people who, to be frank, conventions have had this problem pre-COVID, which was certain conventions skew extremely old. Mm-hmm. And... I don't know if un- people understand how aging works, but eventually you can't age anymore because you just stop <laughs> living. Uh, and while that's f- sad and I don't, I, and all that, and the, you know, a lot of these fans have been around for like 60 plus years and it's really sad that we're losing all of that wisdom and knowledge. You have to still court younger people. You have to get more bodies to come to your con. And what younger people are interested in is not always necessarily what older people are interested in right so that's 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 rough i'm not patronizing i'm just pointing out that aging is a i'm aging i'm almost 40 i realize that's not that old i mean (laughs) that's something you've had to deal with very on a nitty-gritty level as someone who's been in charge of programming at a couple of cons so you know trying to run that balance of making the regular fan attend fan the regular con goers happy and trying to attract new audiences must be a perpetual headache. It It's really tough. I will sp- say that the convention that I have worked for, um, some of the issues that have happened have been moving to a new location, which should be a more ideal location because it's frankly more accessible. But you 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 have this struggle, which is... These folks who've been going for a long, long time, and they like—they don't like change, frankly. They want it to stay in this one lo- one place. And to be fair, I like the old location quite a lot. The new location is also nice, but like downtown Chicago is absurdly expensive. It's so expensive. Um, but the thing is, like, if your other location is inaccessible by public transport, you immediately cut out a huge portion of potential nerds who might come to mm-hmm. your event. Yep. Because they're not going to take a $35 Uber or in Chicago it could be like $80 depending on the time. Right? You're not going to take an Uber just to come all the way out if it's your local con. You're going to want to take the train or whatever, the subway, whatever, right? So, and this isn't unique to Chicago. This could be any any city. And so you're like running this like really rough balance between how do you get the new people to accept the changes inevitable we have to do it, but also do the work to say, hey, we now exist in this other space. All you people that didn't ever want to come here, how do we get you in? That is that second part is really like you probably can't do anything about the first category because if they don't like change, you can't force them to like change. That just they just have to like 
either accept it or not. But that other category is really hard, especially, and I'm not saying that specifically the convention I've worked at, um, specifically if people have never felt safe before, they never felt welcomed before, especially diverse people, people that are not white, that they're, they're going to be deeply skeptical by default. If it's never felt like a place where, the, oh, I'm welcome here. This is a place for me too. You have to do that work. And that is hard. That's hard to do. It can be done. It's just difficult. Some of it can be done with pro. I help with programming stuff. So I help, I don't do any of the other stuff. Some of it can be done with programming, but you really need, like, I like that world con. It's not world con. Uh, isn't world fantasy like, they have like a bi POC, BIPOC, like, I don't know what you call it, like a, like a, like a social basically, where like there's like a room that they can go to mm. where they can kind of escape what is a fairly white space in general, but also like where they can just hang out and like, hey, we're all like getting together, we're gonna talk. Those are things that some, some places have done. Uh, Dublin 2019, Rainbow Warriors mentioned did that, mm-hmm. um, which is a smart move, I think, to try right. to set those spaces up so people can find each other yeah. and have those common shared cultural experiences. Yeah, not just them. Um, uh, I'm pretty sure Shycon had something along those lines, too. Uh, I believe so. Yeah. I think it had several different ones. Maybe. If I recall correctly. Rainbow Warrior says that his friend went to that room by accident. How, how did that go? I, I assume it was fine. <laughs> but, I mean, generally people are pretty cool as long as you're not being a jerk. Yeah. Yeah, so, I don't know. This this convention thing, the number one thing I think both you and I have come to an agreement on is, you know, the COVID thing, needs people need to take that seriously, or at least, at the very least, like, be explicit about pick one side or the other. Like you can't, mm-hmm. you can't like sit in the middle. I will say the exception might be Florida where legally they can't, um, which still means that you're stuck because. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that means I'm voting against any world con site selection in Florida I get it. until the, sele- until the situation changes there. But. No. The one thing I will say is that <clears throat> ICFA was surprising to me because the policy, they couldn't make a firm policy because of the law. Pretty much everybody and their mother was masked in the indoor spaces, which I was really impressed by, but also wasn't that surprised because it's like a bunch of like nerdy academics who have, yeah, I mean, they, they, they know, but so we agree on that. I think we agree that more cons need to be hybrid. Mm-hmm. for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, it's hard to do, but I think it's really worth it. And especially if you're calling yourself a world con from now on forever, you have to have a virtual track to accompany your in-person track. I agree. Yeah, even for academic track, which I worked on, which I, I handled, uh, I mean, they're just some scholar, like financially, they can't come here. It's too much. Even if they have visas, like, it's just, I mean, I... I'm looking for flights right now for an international thing. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm just praying they come down because they're mm. so expensive, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm living in a relatively wealthy country. Yeah. <laughs> you know, imagine somebody coming from a country where it's just, just not that much wealth, like a $2,000 ticket to come to a world cup. Like, no, mm-hmm. that's not a thing you do all the time. You're going to, yeah, we, we need more virtual stuff for that. Some yeah. cons are doing it great. Some have abandoned it entirely, which I think is fine if you're just admitting you're a regional con where only mm-hmm. local-ish people are there. But if you're 
giving the impression that you're not regional, I think that that's a problem. Uh, the other thing of interest, uh, especially for World Cons, is that Seattle was the only bid submitted for 2025. And so unless somebody runs an extremely successful write-in campaign, it's almost certain that the 2025 Worldcon will be in Seattle. Bringing Worldcon back to Seattle for the first time since 1961. So wait, which was. year will be in Seattle? 2025. Next year, year uh, it's 2024 is Glasgow. Um, Got it. Which I am crossing my fingers that I'll be able to go to. <laughs> I really want to go to Glasgow. I would um, love to go to Glasgow. That would be really cool. Yeah. I've never been to Scotland. Yeah. But Seattle in 2025 would be pretty neat, too. That's pretty pretty cool. I, I, I mean, Seattle is a pretty nice city. I mean, I used to live in Washington, so I've mm-hmm. been there a few times. Pike's Place Market, everybody, let's go. <laughs> really cool place. You can get some fish. So... The Rising Tides has a very valid point. I'm sure Seattle is a lovely place, and I would love to see it in general, but for reasons I would prefer more world cons to not be in the U.S., and that is absolutely a valid point. Uh, World cons should be spread across the world uh, uh, probably more than once every three years. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Um, Not so much just North America, either. Um... Uh, I'd love to see a world con in uh, Central or South America or in the Caribbean or... um... Ooh, Trinidad. Yeah. (laughs) Be pretty cool. Yeah, or... Or Or Barbados. I mean, Jamaica would be pretty cool. Mm Mm-hmm. Ooh. Oh, Uh, let's go to Bermuda. Lots of cool places they could have it that would be more accessible to other people who don't get to go to as many of the world cons. But... There again, you know, strong advocacy on my part for uh, good virtual tracks every year going forward. Yeah. The big thing I think that is going to probably happen as a consequence of kind of what's been going on with Worldcon of late and the world changing world that we're living in politically is I suspect a segment of fandom is going to be a little bit more cautious about where world cons are allowed to go well especially if Shengdu turns into a cluster this year which we won't know until it happens (laughs) yeah this is my concern because i know that there are lots of really cool places that it would be awesome for there to be a world con but the biggest question is going to be are those places actually safe for attendees in the broadest spectrum indeed and That is a hard question to answer, especially because the political situation in a variety of countries has actually changed substantially Mm -hmm. just in the last six months, including in parts of the United States dramatically. Dramatically. You know, dramatically. Like if a Worldcon was, and I will speak to this, I don't know if this is an effect for, for Trish, whether or not you can speak to it, but like if there was a Worldcon bid for Florida or Texas, I would 100% not go. I would not vote for it. I wouldn't go. I love Florida. Mostly the landscape and the alligators. We're buds. Best pals. Love you guys. <laughs> uh, I know that there's a member in the chat right now who is a Floridian, and I respect you a great deal. But Florida is not safe for so many people, and Texas is very much on the same. There's other states, too. It's not the only ones. Of course. And yeah. we're, 
we're in this thing of like, we need to figure out what political and social pressures can be put to make those changes. And if the financial one is one to do, I don't know if that's the correct one, but it's, it's one. Right. Well, financial boycotts of states that have horrible policies are not the only answer to things, but they are an answer or, you know, they are a tool in the arsenal of, of pressure. Um, and, you know, some of them apparently just don't care about economic pressure. And I do feel great sympathy. I know that a red state is not red all the way through. Often they are gerrymandered uh, and are actually majority liberal rather than conservative. But, you know, not going, not supporting a place like that with your dollars is a valid strategy. And, uh, and also just the fact that a proportion of your potential congoers will not, not only will not feel safe, they will not be safe legally and maybe even physically. So, yeah, I don't want to support any con that's going to go there. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to note that Enfers has raised, I, I don't know if it, they go themselves, and then Rainbow Warrior has pointed out there was a large LGBTQ event in Orlando. Orlando... Rainbow Warriors mentioned this a number of times, uh, and there's a reason why the governor of Florida hates Orlando with a fiery passion. It's because Orlando is pushed very hard against it. The biggest concern is the same concern I have with our, our current world con. There are certain people that if they express themselves, they run the risk of being arrested by the state. Mm-hmm. They're still not on exactly equal footing in terms of the potential consequences, but they could happen. And... That is a very serious concern. I want to note that Florida was also listed by the NAACP as a travel advisory location, mm-hmm. which is wild. And I it really pisses me off that this is happening because I love Florida. There's a lot of lovely people love in Florida. I want to say that if you can't financially support this, you know, by being in the state, which is hard to do, especially if you're like a biologist and you want to see the Everglades, which are actually being actively destroyed. Um do find the fans, writers, and people who are there who are trying to fight, and if you can't support them financially. So El Ire and um, uh, uh, Joe Iriarte are both there. They're both writers by their work. Um, there are others there. Who's, uh, Sarah Nicholas is there, and there's a bunch of other folks. Financially support those people because they're trying to fight, and it's hard for us like in other states to help them, except by helping buy them coffee is really what I'm saying. But yeah, I do know that, and this may be the last thing we have to talk about, but Rising Tides raised it, and I'll let you speak to this, Trish. Uh, the safety question is complex because it's totally not facetious for non-American queer person of color to insist it is less safe in the U.S. than even in many of their home countries. Yeah, and then uh, maybe that second one you could speak to, too. Um, the second one being perhaps a more challenging kind of work for Worldcon to do is not to ask where are the safe places to go, but to work to, uh, toward how do we make people safe in this place? I honestly can't think of any way that Worldcon could make queer and uh, people of color safe in Orlando or wherever. I I just, I think that's too, you can't make the con safe for your con goers without transforming the whole state and that's not something a con can do by itself so i think for now that's not the question that Worldcon can can answer maybe a I big mean, can try to address it but i wouldn't 
sorry if uh if the Orlando science fiction community wants to bid in Orlando, they better work on transforming their whole state cuz I'm not going to vote for a con in Florida. I mean, keep in As mind things stand now. Yeah, I think Trisha you're completely right that they can attempt, you know, like I know that Jetta got a lot of crit- I, I think justified criticism cuz the answers that were given to some of the questions about uh Saudi Arabia's policies on queer people in general were his the response we kind of got was well if you're not causing an issue it's not a problem and it's like but that's not an answer to the question of but what if you get nabbed by the system mm-hmm. and then you're punished accordingly mm-hmm. and i do want to note that the united states has many places not all states in the u.s i, I want to say that are not exactly like this but some places where there are some very severe laws, especially against LGBTQIA plus folks. And Uganda, which is currently one of the folks attempting to put a bid in for Worldcon, has enacted an anti-LGBTQ law that uh, includes the death penalty for that. And I don't know that a Worldcon has any kind of legal clout to actually provide meaningful safety in circumstances in which the law is set up where the police can come in and harm you because of who you are. And parts of the U.S. have this. I don't want, not the death penalty part, but, you know, parts of the U.S. have problems with this. Um, And yeah, it's just like, if you were a moderately pregnant woman, I wouldn't send you to certain states in this country because if you have any complications while you're there, you mm-hmm. may be forced to carry a pregnancy to term in states like Texas, which could kill you. Mm-hmm. Yep. So just to give another example. Yeah. So this is just, again, if things change, I was thinking like partway through a pregnancy, you shouldn't fly when you're like almost about to pop. Because as I understand it, the doctors recommend you don't do that. But mm-hmm. if you're like, you know, a few months along, like three or four or five months, that's I would say that's like that's moderately pregnant, right? Is that is that that's like moderate pregnant? Yeah, uh, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's 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 something where most women before the current situation would have felt reasonably safe flying for a few hours to go to do a, to a work convention or whatever. <laughs> Stephen Kegavillers, <laughs> give me some slack because I've never been pregnant. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I've never been pregnant before. I don't know the experience. I'm doing my best. Anyway, yeah. I think I think though that that writing ties is is correct. Like this is complicated. It's not as simple as like black and white. In in you know things are com- complicated and all of these things, but they are questions that we just we have to grapple with, and people need to make their own decisions. Yeah, Rising Tides does say the Uganda bid hurts my heart for the same reason the politics around the Chengdu one does. Oh, sorry, Chengdu. Uh, I had a Chinese student try to teach me how to say it properly. I don't think I got it quite right. Um, I'm sure the bid is just a bunch of nerds who want to share the local fic. Yeah, I think you're right. And around them is a political weight they can't control. I agree. That's probably possibly what's going on. I I feel sorry for the Chinese fans because I think I've met some of them at other world cons and... Mm-hmm. They're just a bunch of dorks who love the same... I mean, they love a lot of Chinese science fiction, which at that time was not very popular in the U.S. yet uh, because we hadn't read it yet. uh, So they knew a bunch of stuff I didn't know, but they're just enthusiastic, so... 
Yeah, yeah. I think the people who put in the bid and won the bid are enthusiasts, but apparently they have kind of lost control of the situation, or at least some of the control. Certainly they lost control of where and when the convention would be held, so that now the people who were the organizing force behind the convention, who wanted it held in summer because most of them are students, they somehow uh, lost control of that to the extent that it got rescheduled in October when a lot of them can't go. So I, I have a lot of sympathy for them, but probably what's going on with Chengdu this year is unfortunately, or fortunately, it's, it's going to have an effect on future bids from non-Western countries. Yeah. Uh, that, that makes me sad because mm-hmm. I, I agree. It makes me that sad too. Yeah. They're trying. Those, those folks are, I, yeah, I, I wish and some of this is like actually kind of their fault and Worldcon's fault and probably not their fault, which is just, I just think that in, I've said this before and I'm sure Trish, you agree, but I just think Worldcon needs like a guidebook, like a generalized Wisfis guidebook for how world, like here, here you go. Here's a guide. Here are some like tech options and like, you know, support. I don't know, just something so that Every Worldcon isn't reinventing the wheel. And I get that they all want to do it. I understand I, I work for ShyCon and I understand the politics of it and the social, like everybody kind of wants to do their own thing and they want to, they have their own procedures. But the consequence of this is when a group comes in and they're trying to do X, but then they have Y and Z and LMNOP falling on them. It just gets things, it just muddies the water and makes it harder to do. And we're seeing, I think, the consequences. Whatever is affecting their ability to run this con, I don't think it's entirely incompetence. Some of it might be they're just not familiar, and some of it is just there are things going on that we don't have any knowledge of, and they're probably not going to say. Yeah. Oh, and I I will just say that Rising Ties, you're 100% correct that Uganda Mm -hmm. would not be where it is except if it weren't for the American pastors literally shipping their homophobia. And yes, Rainbow Warrior Moderate is a term for politics, not for pregnancy. Either you are pregnant or you are not. It is it is pretty much an on-off condition. <laughs> but uh, one can be heavily pregnant or not very far along, which could influence choices. All right, I have a happy thing I want to talk about, which Please. is that I love... Libraries. I I adore libraries. Libraries are great. People who are attacking libraries are insane and bad people, probably arguing in bad faith, but anyway, they are bad in the head. (laughs) Um, I want to show a stack of books. Books! Oh my gosh, it's a whole ass stack of books. I do have a little problem, which is that... uh, when I go to the library to turn a book in, I usually come back come back out with uh, three or four or so books. Trisha's but... trying to hold this massive stack of books up. So real quick, will you hold it up so I could read it out for the people that will be at home and can't yeah, see the stream? Yeah, just a second. Yeah, so just hold it up there and I'll read really slow for you. <laughs> so we've got a book called The Hopkins Manuscript, To Kill a Unicorn by D.C. Palter. I can't see the other one. Bloodshot by Sherry Priest. Is that Sherry Priest? Uh Uh-huh. City of Last Changes by Adrian Tchaikovsky, the sorcerer of Pyongyang. Mm -hmm. 
John Sanford, a book by John Sanford. I'm not sure. Something. It's a murder Uh, mystery. It's it's not science fiction. Okay. Then Children of Memory by Adrian Tchaikovsky and The World We Make. World We Make by uh, N.K. Jemisin. Right. Right. And these are all, you know, at my local library, which is great. Um, uh, And one of the things that's really great is that, yes, I can follow. A lot of those are following authors that I really, uh, you know, already am fans fans of. But um, like the, uh, what is this? The Sorcerer of Pyongyang is something that I just came across in the new releases and oh. it looks off awfully adorable uh by marcel thoreau it's about some kid in north korea who somehow comes across a dungeons and dragons manual and he is trying to he's he's me- telling lies to librarians to get access to english language books so he can translate this and play the game and yeah i i don't know that maybe it doesn't amazing. have a happy ending but it's it you know this is something i would never have run across um uh in you know just just from a google search or whatever um uh and it just looks great and the discoverability of libraries but also, uh, I hope everyone knows libraries have become more and more community centers, not just warehouses for books. Most of them have computers and librarians who are happy to help you learn how to use computers uh, for your job searches or just for keeping in contact with people. Um, I volunteered as a technical assistant at uh, my library in Wilmington, North Carolina, uh, for about a year, helping people learn how to use computers. Um, and I, I just love libraries. I know I have a problem with my, you know, <laughs> perpetually growing TVR just from that. And, <laughs> um, you know, not to mention the books that I have on Hoopla and uh, Libby to library applications. But libraries are great. Libraries are great. I need to use use the the digital stuff with my local library. I need to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will it's just pretty note, easy. <laughs> I tell my students all the time to abuse their library access because I work at a university, and I'm like, you guys have access to an absurd amount of knowledge. You can get not literally everything, but pretty close to anything through interlibrary loan. And the librarians love it when you abuse the crap out of them. Like, I, apparently, I thought it was being annoying. Because every time I start a new research thing, I will just find everything I think I want. And then I just request every single thing that isn't in our <laughs> library. And, and our library isn't that big because it's a small university in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And so it's a lot of books. And I was like, I came in one day to pick up and I was like, I don't know if I'm like really annoying you guys. Like, no, no, we love you. Do it again. Do it again. <laughs> They're like, oh, Sean is, is doing research because he's requested 40 books. <laughs> We're fine with it. <laughs> So, yes, apparently librarians love it when you request way too many books because mm-hmm. it's good for their their numbers. So abuse your mm-hmm. library privileges. And yep. by abuse it, I mean use the library, not mm-hmm. destroy books or any other nonsense. No, no, of course not. I want to be very clear by what I mean by, by abuse. I mean use it actually for what it's for. Yeah. No, well, absolutely. Stats like that, visitor usage and virtual usage, those are things that uh, come up in county budget 
uh, talks. I know because I've covered county budget meetings as a reporter. Uh, uh, usage of libraries absolutely comes into play uh, with arguments about funding and budgets and stuff. So absolutely uh, remember to use your libraries, folks. Yep, please do. Keep in mind, almost every library, has, I think every library at this point, has access to ebooks. Mm -hmm. They have a number of different programs. You can get ebooks, And if you're just like, you know, I'm interested in this, but I'm not sure if I want to check it, check it out anyway. Just do it. Because maybe you won't like it. Maybe you'll love it. Maybe you won't even read it. Doesn't matter. The numbers are more important. <laughs> you know, and now you've got this book and maybe it'll make you read more. I mean, Americans need to read more. Everybody in the world needs to read more. Read more books. Spend less time on Twitter. It's awful. Oh, it's <laughs> the rising ties. Last thing we will say and then we will close out. Uh, since the future of the U.S. looks more and more like the plot of the manga, the library war supporting it is literally a duty. That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. So we're going to wind off. Uh, this is the end of the podcast part of it. Um, I'd like to let folks know again that if you have any other questions you'd like us to cover, you have a thought that we didn't get a chance to cover, you want to extend a thought to us, skiffingfanny.com slash listener suggestions is the place to go. We will answer questions. You do not need to give us your name, although if you'd like us to mention you, you can. Uh, if you'd like to find us in all the places, we're at Skiffy and Fanny on most social media sites, including Twitch. You can just look us up at Skiffy and Fanny. Uh, you can find our link tree at linktr dot ee slash Skiffy and Fanny, which has all our socials, Twitter, Mastodon, etc. We have a newsletter, which is run by Stephen Geigen Miller, who's in the live chat at the moment because Stephen is beautiful. That's at skiffyandfanty.com slash newsletter for all the updates about us. You also can support this show at patreon.com slash skiffyandfanty. And by giving us reviews on iTunes, Spotify, uh, Spotify doesn't do reviews. You can leave comments there. Um, iTunes, CastBox, uh, Podchaser, Good Pods HQ, all of those places, you know, please give us a review. Let us know. For me, I'm at SeanDuke.net, Alphabet Streams on Twitch. I'm there Tuesday and Thursdays at 7. I'm at Patreon.com slash The Joy Factory. And I also have lots of social things if you go to the my link tree at slash SeanDuke. Uh, and I do a thing called The Histories, which is really fun and is adorable. And I owe a thing for somebody, I believe, that is currently in chat, I believe. Uh, anyway, no, I don't. No, I've done it for everybody. Everybody's got one. Even even you've got one. Didn't I do yours, Trish? Oh. Uh, Did I not do it yet? Uh, no, I, you haven't done a history for me. Nope. Oh, it's gonna, it's coming. <laughs> As for me, you can still find me for probably a limited amount of time on Twitter at P.E. Matson, on Mastodon, uh, probably longer, at uh, TrishyM at Newsy.Social, or on my blog, which I sometimes update, at uh, www.blogspot.com. Perfect. Uh, well, I gotta make it awkward because this is required according to the Skiffing Funny Bylaws that everybody signed. Um... And so I will just note that I am actually starting a convention starting now. Uh, it is going to be known as the uh, the Trish Appreciation Convention. Wow. It'll mm. be held in, uh, uh, what's the name of the town? I've forgotten the name. It's in Kansas somewhere. I don't remember the town. <laughs> it's in a, it's in a, a, a Best Western, though. So we'll be holding mm. it there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm told they have a great buffet. Look, I don't have a lot of money, Trish, so you just I'm sorry. This is the best I can do. I have no money. I am broke. So you get a best Western convention that's about you. Mm, interesting. <laughs> Intriguing. 
Okay, and on that note, awkward ending and see. <laughs>